Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22. Just to kind of remind everybody where we are and where we've been. A lot has happened to David in his life over these last few chapters from being the bold young man who is willing to take on Goliath and really take on any foe that might stand up against God's armies to being anointed as the future king, being anointed by Samuel that he would one day be the king of Israel and then getting put into the palace. This is a pretty good gig playing the harp in the palace, being Amongst the kings and all the glories and enjoyment that that comes with that. But then the king becomes jealous of him, tries to kill him. And we see now David on the run. We, we see him in probably the, the worst part in his life up until a whole bunch of stuff that happens a little bit later on. But up until this point, the greatest struggles that really define a, a lot of the Psalms and a lot of the things that we understand about David happened to him during these times of trial. And last week we saw that as David is on the run from Saul, he ends up going into the temple, trying to get some provisions. And, and now nowhere in these chapters in 20 or 21 do we see David inquire of the Lord or is he seeking the Lord. He's not praying and seeking him, but yet he, he is kind of going, he's trying to figure out how in the world am I going to survive? He is in survival mode in the midst of great trial, which maybe we often find ourselves again. To, to the point he even goes to, a, to a, a combative king and tries to want, want to align himself and be a part of his army. And the king recognizes who David is. So David starts acting like a madman to the point that the king just shoves him away. And then we find David here in chapter 22, and we'll, we'll, we're going to try to cover two chapters this morning, so just be prepared to be here about 1.30, 2 o'clock. Don't worry about it. You can just feed on the word of the Lord. You will be nourished. Chapter 22, verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to him there. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became a commander over him. And there was with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mezpeth and Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And left, and he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all that time that David was in the stronghold. And the prophet of Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Herath. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we struggle with the pains and the trials of this life. We often don't want to admit it, but, but we, we question you. We question your wisdom. We question why you would allow certain things to happen to us, to those who we know. Father, these, these pains, sometimes we don't know how to deal with. And I just pray that this morning, as we look at the life of David, 
that we would begin to understand that we can trust you from beginning to end. Father, that there is no pointlessness to the sufferings and trials that we experience in this life. And we know that there will be a day, Father, where the tears will be wiped from our eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many years ago, the great cultural prophet Paul McCartney wrote the song, Let It Be. He, he actually describes the night in which he wrote this song. He admits that due to a little drug-induced or chemically-induced dream, he had a vision of his mother. And at this time, he was going through a lot of trials. The, the band was on the verge of breaking up. He was feared, the great band, the Beatles. And in that dream, he saw his mom, as he says. My mom said to me, let it be. And so he says this, that after this dream, it was lovely. I woke up with this great feeling. It was like she had visited me in a very difficult point in my life and gave me the message. Be gentle. Do not fight things. Just try to let them go with the flow. It will all work out. So Paul McCartney writes the songs, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. When all the brokenhearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. Now, if there is no God, if there is no God, then in the midst of trial, that might be the best advice you could possibly have. If there is no God, there is no point to whatever suffering you or anybody else that you know is going through. There's no guarantee that there's going to be some great plan at the end. There's no point in, in, in trying to figure out what, what is the meaning of this, because there is none. But what if there is a God? But even in the midst of this, we still struggle as, as humans, as Christians... Is, is God really going to be faithful in the midst of my imperfect faith? And we start here there in verse um, 1 through 5 of chapter 22. Because as we look at David during these chapters of 20, 21, and 22, David's faith is not perfect. He's not this valiant young man, right, who, who says, who can stand against the Lord's army like he does with Goliath? He struggles. He even says to the prophets, Please, I don't know what God is going to do with me there in verse 3. I don't know what God is going to do with me, so, so protect my family. Well, I know what God's going to do with him. And he should have known what God, what was God going to do with him. He was anointed king of Israel. David should have known and trusted right, that one day he would be the king of Israel. David is living his life... In these chapters, in this tension between what we often call the already and the not yet. He's already been anointed king, but he's not yet received that reality of, of kingship. Much like us as our Christian life, we've already experienced the grace of God if we are trusting in who Jesus is for us. But we are going through many trials, many sufferings, many things in our life that are not working out. But we long for the completion of that. The, the ultimate reality of that is not yet here. So your faith and David's faith isn't going to be one that's always going to be filled with rainbows and moonbeams. It's not always going to be places of happiness. 
So how are we to view God's faithfulness in the midst of trial and suffering? How is it that God's glory could be reflected in every part of this drama of redemption, even in the midst of trial? And as we'll see in a moment, what turns out to be what would seem to be a, a, a tragic and pointless evil. So we see David here in this. He's in this cave and then he moves into the stronghold. And it's kind of like a, a regular movie scene. Meanwhile, in another far off land, we see Saul. And what is Saul doing? Let me read. Well, before I read verses 11 through 19, Saul is, of course, as we've already seen, a little paranoid man. He's a little intimidated by how much people like David. Much as Chris is being very intimidated by me being up here and speaking so eloquently. No spears, please. No lofting of any dangerous weapons upon me. Just kidding. He's not (laughs) intimidated at all. Maybe my looks and my age. But Saul is very paranoid. He's looking to all his men and saying, who else in this kingdom can give you lands? Why is it that you have not told me that David was going to come up against me? And he finds out about what happened here in the last chapter, in, in chapter 21, where David gets some provisions from the high priest. And here's David in the midst of trial somewhere else. But where Saul is, we read these things, beginning in verse 11. Then the king who summons to him, uh, excuse me, Helimelech, no one can read these Hebrew names. Um, the high priest from chapter um, 21. The son of Ethub and all of his father's house and the priests who were with him at Noam. And all of them came to the king. And then Saul said, hear now, O son of Ethub. And he said, here I am, Lord. And Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse. And that you have given him bread and a sword and inquired of God for him so that he has risen up against me to lie and wait to this day. Now, now, have we seen anywhere in these chapters that David is lying in wait of Saul? Have we seen any indication that Saul, David, is desiring to kill Saul, right, or or, or destroy him in any way whatsoever? But Saul is in this paranoid state seeking to figure out why people are always against him. Then Amalek answered the king. And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law, the captain over your bodyguard and honor in all your house? Is today the first time that I've inquired of God for him? No, let not the king impute anything to his servant, to all the house of my father. For your servant has known nothing of this, much or little. And the king said, you shall surely die Ahimelech, you and your father's house. And the king said to the guard and those who stood there with him, turn and kill the priest of the Lord, because their hand is also with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hands to strike the priest of the Lord. And the king says to Duag, you turn and strike the priest. And Duag the Edomite turned and struck down the priest. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen apod and of Noab, the city of the priest. 
And he put to the sword the men, the women, the children, the infants, the ox, the donkey, and the sheep. He put to the sword. Now maybe this just seems like a nice, fun, loving Old Testament story. That brings us to a place of cheeriness and joy. There's no movie that I think I've seen in 20 years that is this horrific. There's nothing that, that, that our culture and our society has put forth on, on any kind of entertainment level that is this horrific. Is there? Game of Thrones has nothing on this. Not a thing. So how is it that God could be seen as faithful... And allow his high priest, his servant, his, his mouthpiece to the people of God, him and his household, every one of them, to be put to shame. How do the words, let it be, help? How do you think David felt as he's lying in this stronghold or in this cave when the word gets back to him? That because this high priest has given him some provisions... This high priest has given him some food and allowed him to take the sword of Goliath. How how do you think he felt when he hears that not only the high priest whom he actually had contact with, but all of his household have been put to the sword? We think our lives are difficult. We think our lives are filled with great struggles and trials. How would we like... The weight of those words to come to us. I, I, I can't imagine it myself. Words just seem empty in more ways than one. So how do we take heart in the midst of these kinds of trials? Well, we could give the, the fun, not the fun, but the philosophical answer, right? Because our culture will look to this and say, look, your God allows there to be pointless evil in the world. And, and, and the philosophical route would say this, that if God exists, there would be no pointless evil. Isn't that a fair statement? If God exists, there would be no pointless evil. But there is pointless evil. I mean, what is the point of the high priest being killed? What is the point when we see great atrocities happen to the world around us? Therefore, God does not exist. Because if your God exists, there's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God, how in the world would he allow events like this to take place? What do we say? To our culture, what do we say to our co-workers, what do we say to our families when they point these kind of realities to us? The Bible is horrific. It has stories that are troubling of great evils. Well, this isn't necessarily going to just, ah, that's the perfect answer. But one thing that we can say, that, that we can flip this argument a little bit upside down. 
that we can say more than what we would do in the midst of, of, of tragic events is just saying we just need to let it be and move on and try to go with the flow. We say that if God exists, there would be no pointless evil. We agree. If God exists, there would be no pointless evil. But God exists. And if that's the case, that means there is no pointless evil. Even when we can't see what the point is. You know, there's a, a, a nice little technical term that philosophers use here. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a nice big 50 cent word. Very technical. You guys probably have never heard of it. It's called the noceum inference. Isn't that really complicated? You know why you call it the noceum inference? Because I can't see the point. I noceum. Right? Very technical, highbrow, 50 cent word there. Just because I don't see the point doesn't mean that there isn't one. Even in the midst of this story, we, we are so focused on our, our temporal realities, we don't even realize how these, these pains and these trials and these sufferings affect the entire drama of redemption. We see that God can be seen as faithful. We can take heart that human history is moving towards glory, that one day sin will be no more. And as we struggle in its midst of the sinful world now, we may make the taste of glory that much sweeter. As we see the sin and the suffering and the realities in the world, that it will make the taste of glory that much sweeter. We'll come back to this thought here, but as we go on in the story, we see, and as time flies by, as I try to do three chapters, in chapter 23, we see that during this time, right, when the high priest and all of his family and all of his household are slaughtered, one escapes, the son of the high priest escapes with, a, with the apod, which is a, a, a linen cloth thing that the high priest would use to determine the will of God. And he comes down to David. And David says that he who pursues you also pursues me. And so therefore you will be with me and we shall be protected. And for the first time in the last few chapters, we see that David inquires of the Lord because he hears that another town is under attack. And so for the first time in a few chapters, instead of David trying to figure out what do I do? David's in the middle of the stronghold with those who are weak, troubled discontent, right? Not, not the, notice that the passage that we read at the beginning, it doesn't say the, the strong, the, the able, right? The powerful have come down to David. No, it says basically the weak. Those who are hungry, those who are needy comes down and there was a number of 400 men. And David turns those 400 men into a fighting force. He inquires of the Lord and the Lord says, I will deliver this enemy to your hand. And even in the midst of trial, David now pursues and knocks down an enemy enemy of the Lord there at the beginning of chapter 23. And we read these words at chapter 23 towards the end. After David defeats this person, then uh, this invading force of Israel, Saul hears about it. And so Saul gathers the the army of Israel that, that he had under his charge to go then against David. And right as Saul is about to come against him, Saul gets word that there's another The Philistines are about to attack Israel. And so Saul has to retreat and once again go back against 
um, the Philistines and no longer pursue David. And so we read these words. A messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul turned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Agai. You know, this is a story about where David started. And we all know where David is going, eventually to be a king, right? The triumphal king of Israel. If you have your Bibles open, turn to Psalm 57. This is a psalm of David during this time, during his struggles, during his trials, during his sufferings, as people have come upon him. And his trial becomes a part of who we are. We don't just say, let it be, when trials and sufferings come upon us. We plead our case with the God of heaven and earth. We praise him and know that there is a purpose for every trial, even when we can't see it. Even when we don't know why or how, that ultimately God will be glorified at the end of days, even in the midst of the most horrific Acts. You know, when we say that we believe in God, he is a personal God. When we say that we believe in God, he is a personal God so we can deal with him personally, not as some kind of abstract entity. Right. But we think of him more that way. But listen to how David pleads with the Lord in the midst of this time. Be merciful to me. Oh, God, be merciful for me, for in you, my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge till the storm of destructions pass by. I will cry out to the God most high, to the God who fills his purpose for me. He will send me to the heavens and he will save me. He will put to shame him who trembles, uh, tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love. And his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amidst fiery beasts. The children of men whose teeth are spears and arrows. Whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They have set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sling and make a melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, my harp and my lyre. And awake, the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, amongst the peoples. I will sing praises to you amongst the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, in the midst of a cave, in the midst of no hope whatsoever. David goes to the Lord and prays, knowing that he is going to be before him. His faith somehow was strengthened. And I don't think it's in a small part that it's about the son of the high priest coming down to visit him. 
Because that's when he inquired of the Lord. He, he now had the apop with him, which was used to inquire of the will of the Lord, and it gave him strength. Some of you may wonder, why is it that, that we do the Lord's table every Sunday, or just about every Sunday? It's because our faith is weak. Chris comes up here every Sunday and preaches the gospel of salvation, and you may believe that it's true. That it might be a reality that, that Jesus has come to provide a way out. That he has become to provide us a true refuge. But how do I know that it's true for me? I think David in the midst of these trials, even in these times where he was struggling with his faith, he would never have said, I don't believe that there's a God. He maybe never would say, I don't believe that I won't be king, but it's hard for me to believe it now. In this moment, in this time. I don't know how. How do I know that Jesus was who he said he was, that he really did die on the cross, that I could possibly have salvation one day, that, that, that there is this hope in the reality, and we say to you, come eat the body and the blood of Christ. How do you know that there will be salvation? How do you know that there will be something beyond the pointless evil that we see every day in this world? Because Jesus died on the cross. His body and blood was given for you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't always make our our, our trials easy. And and it's interesting as we look throughout the Psalms that during these periods of trials, it it really defined David as a person. You know, we don't say we ignore those trials. We don't say that we pretend those trials didn't happen. We don't say that those things aren't horrific evil, that they bring tears to our eyes. They bring pains to our hearts and our minds. We don't say just let it be. One of my favorite uh, Christian music guys is, is Michael Card. And one of the songs is a little bit lesser known. is called Underneath the Door. And Michael Card talks about this song that, that it's a story about his life and how he is defined by his pain. Michael Carr, when explaining this song, says um, this, that God doesn't waste anything. He takes the most hurtful things in our lives and uses them to make us more like him. Just as God used the most hurtful and devastating things in David's life to make him a man after God's own heart. And to provide us, uh, you know, psalm after psalm as he pleads with God and who he is. He does the same things with us. And Michael Carr tells a story that, that his dad was a, a doctor. And his dad would work these really long hours. He would go to, to the office from 5 a.m. in the morning. And he would arrive home at 8 p.m. at night. And they didn't have dinner till his dad got out of the study. So his dad would come home at 8 o'clock at night, go straight into the study, lock the door. He said, to this day, I have no idea what my father was doing in that room. He says maybe he was taking a drink or something or trying to figure out, you know, what his role was with the family, how it is that he was supposed to be a father. But Michael Card would sit there in his diaper as a young kid and put his stubby fingers under the door. And he'd say, Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, come out and play with me. And he'd push pictures under the door. Daddy, we're waiting for you. And one of Michael Card's friends says, I know who you are. You're still that little boy. 
You'll do anything to get people to listen to you. And that's why you get up there with your guitar and you say your theology because that, that, that is exactly here. That pain of your father not going to you first when he came in the door every day, but going back into the study. And, and, and the reality is that you wanted your father's love and you couldn't have it, have it. That pain defined who you are. And that's why you have been a gift to the church for all these years and how he sings. In the song, it ends this way. Our wounds are part of who we are, and there's nothing left to chance. And pain is the pen that writes the songs that call our soul forth to dance. David's wounds are part of who he is. And we don't have time to go through every detail of these three chapters, but we can see that he had to go through some horrific trials. I mean, the guilt that he must have felt... When he hears that the high priest and his entire family had been put to the sword. And yet he knew that that God was going to be his refuge. Well, why wasn't God the refuge of the high priest? Constantly had to be a struggle. And those wounds that probably dug deep into his heart defined him as a person. Defined him as a, a poet and a songwriter throughout the rest of his life. And the songs that he gives us. But just like we know the rest of the story for David. We know the rest of the story for us and all of creation. In the book of Revelations. From my favorite chapters. Chapter 21. And then I saw the new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God. Prepared As a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, my dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed Away. There is no pointless evil, and one day every sin, every pain, every trial, every tear will be done away with. It will be no more. And as Luther said, because that day is coming, do you believe and is your hope in that day? Because if that day is coming, then you can live this day with faithfulness and seeking God and trusting in His purpose. And that there is a point even in the midst of those trials, even in the midst of your tears. And it's okay to cry and to suffer in the midst of those times. And because we know that ultimately it will be undone, we can trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father. We look at the story of David and, and maybe it's easy for us to say, well, why, why, why did he have some, some doubt what God would do with him? Why did he not trust that he would one day be king of Israel and lead this holy nation? Father, maybe we look at these times and we wonder how you, a loving and holy God, would allow such horrible atrocities to happen even to your servants. How you can make David go through such trials. 
But as we look at the, the, the horrid nature of the sinfulness of these realities, it makes the grace and the beauty and the love and the mercy that we find in Christ all the more beautiful. That although we see our faith uh, uh, trialed by fire, Father, we know that as we grow in you, grow in grace, our ability to, to deal with the evilness of the world around us increases as we look to that day. That day will sin will be done, undone completely. That day that we will see you face to face. And that we will be before Christ, the light of your temple, the Lamb of God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.